Chapter Eleven, Part Two of the Suffragette: The History of the Woman's Militant Suffrage Movement by E. Sylvia Pankhurst. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Eleven, Part Two. When Mrs. Pankhurst and the other women had gone to prison, their comrades of the W.S.P.U. at Mrs. Pethick Lawrence's suggestion had entered upon a week of self-denial in order to raise funds for the campaign. The thought of those who were in prison spurred on every member of the union to renewed zeal some went canvassing from house to house for money others stood with collecting boxes at regular pitches in the street at the kensington high street district railway station for instance four well-known women writers miss evelyn sharp miss may sinclair miss violet hunt and miss clemens houseman were gathering in pennies all through those wintry days some women sold flowers swept crossings became pavement artists and played barrel organs poorer members obliged to work continuously for a living denied themselves sugar and milk in their tea butter on their bread and walked to and from their work in order to be able to give something to the funds the result of this week of earnest effort was to be announced at a great meeting at the albert hall on march nineteenth to advertise which a great box kite with a flag attached was hanging over the houses of parliament for a fortnight whilst a similar flag floated over holloway jail to cheer the prisoners within every seat in the great albert hall was sold long before the day of the meeting and hundreds of people were turned away at the doors the vast audience was composed almost entirely of women and there were two hundred women stewards in white dresses the platform was decorated with flowers and thronged with ex-prisoners and the officials of the union but as the sentences of mrs pankhurst and eight of her comrades were not to expire until the following morning the chairman's seat which the founder of the union should have occupied was left vacant and in it was placed a large white card bearing the inscription mrs pankhurst's chair throughout the great gathering there was a wonderful spirit of unity and not one woman there could wish in her heart as so many millions have done if i had only been a man no they were rather like to pity those who were not women and so could not join in this great fight for to-day it was the woman's battle the time was gone when she must always play a minor part applauding ministering comforting performing useful functions if you will incurring risks too and making sacrifices but always being treated and always thinking of herself as a mere incident of the struggle outside the wide mainstream of life to-day this battle of theirs seemed to the women to be the greatest in the world all other conflicts appeared minor to it a great wave of enthusiasm had caught them up and they were ready to break out into cheers and clapping at the least excuse fate in the person of the government had provided an incident entirely in keeping with their mood for christabel immediately announced that mrs pankhurst and the remaining prisoners had been unexpectedly released and mrs pankhurst herself walked quietly on to the platform to take possession of the vacant chair then it was a wonderful sight to see the upspringing of those thousands of women from those rows and rows of seats and tiers and tiers of boxes and galleries sloping to the roof of the great circular hall there was a sea of waving arms and handkerchiefs and a long chorus of cheers with no greater welcome could any leader have been met the founder of the union stood there quite still in her dark grey dress and her face usually pale had that strangely blanched look which comes to prisoners when as the applause subsided she stepped forward to speak to the assembled women it was evident that she was deeply moved by their greeting and as she told how the chief wardress had come to her cell at two o'clock that afternoon to tell her that an order had come for her immediate release 
one felt that she was very tired and almost overwhelmed by the sharp contrast between the great brightly lighted hall with its vast seething throng of human beings and the still silence of the prison cell she had heard she told the women for these things filter even into prison that the bill had successfully passed its second reading but she said and all present knew that she spoke rightly that if ever the bill were to become an act women must do ten times more yet than they had ever done in the past i for one friends mrs pankhurst cried and we knew that she was thinking of the women she had seen in prison i for one looking round on the sweated and decrepit members of my sex say that men have had control of these things long enough and that no woman with any spark of womanliness in her will consent to allow this state of things to go on any longer we are tired of it we want to be of use and to have the power to make the world a better place both for men and women than it is to-day she paused then and went on to express quietly but with deep feeling her joy in this great woman's movement that a few years before she had thought she would never live to see the old cry had been you will never rouse women but she said we have done what they thought and what they hoped to be impossible we women are roused at those words they stopped her with their cheers then annie kenny rose to tell the story of her first and only other visit to the royal albert hall when she had gone there to ask of the newly elected and triumphant liberal ministry a pledge for the enfranchisement of her sex that night two years before she had been received with cries of abuse and howled down by an audience of angry men there seemed to be thousands against one she said but i did not mind because i knew that our action that night was like summer rain on a drooping flower it would give new life to the women's movement and now mrs pethick lawrence our treasurer was to come forward to give yet one more proof that annie kenny's words were true when the treasurer had imagined that mrs pankhurst's chair was to be an empty one she had planned that those present should place in it an offering of money for the cause but now she would be able to place that offering in the founder's hands towards the sum that was collected there was already the two thousand three hundred and eighty two pounds eleven shillings seven pence which had been raised by the devotion and sacrifice of members of the union during the week of self-denial a promise of one thousand pounds a year till women were enfranchised from a lady who wished to remain anonymous and a second one thousand pounds which mrs lawrence herself in conjunction with her husband wished to give and now it was for the audience to do their part whilst the treasurer had been speaking mr lawrence had been arranging a scoring apparatus then one by one twelve women rose up in the hall and each promised to give one hundred pounds their example was followed by numbers of others at the same time promise cards filled out by members of the audience were constantly being handed to the platform where mrs lawrence read them out at last the sum of seven thousand pounds had been set up and with a stirring call from christabel to work at the by-elections at peckham and hastings in which the union was then engaging the meeting closed as it was in london the peckham election was of course most noticed by the press and because it was so near its headquarters the women's social and political union was able to put up the biggest fight there on peckham rye a stretch of common land where hosts of preachers and speakers of all kinds are to be heard on every holiday each of the parties in the election including the suffragettes began by holding a meeting on the first sunday of the contest there was a good deal of rather dangerous horseplay which ominously recalled the mid-devon election the suffragettes being chief target of the disturbers but before many days were over the situation had entirely changed 
peckham as every londoner knows is one of that great forest of suburbs of mushroom growth on the south side of the river its miles and miles of dingy streets are lined with monotonous rows of ugly little houses which the jerry-builder tries to convert into villa residences by disfiguring with heavy over-ornamented stonework and by planting a useless pillar on either side of the narrow doorway a large proportion of these little dwellings are tenanted by at least two families and the district is given over to small shopkeepers and clerks shop assistants teachers and those who belong more frankly to the working classes no one who can afford to live elsewhere chooses to live in peckham it is full of honest worthy people but there is nothing romantic or attractive about it the suffragettes opened their committee rooms in the high street and soon seemed to be everywhere they were riding up and down on the noisy electric tram-cars and dashing along rye lane where the cheap shops are and where on saturday nights you can buy everything for half the usual price at the costermonger's stalls chalking the pavements giving out handbills and speaking at the street corners and soon it was found that these busy active women had not only converted almost every one in the district to the justice of their claims but had captured the heart of the constituency how had it happened partly it may be because of the romance and colour that they had brought into the humdrum peckham life but perhaps the following impressions of an enthusiast which appeared in the daily mail in the midst of the election will best explain the mystery three happy girls eyes laughter lit breezy buoyant joyous arm in arm talking like three cascades are making a royal progress down the lane that leads to rye such is the head of the comet just a glance at the tail a heterogeneous nebula of human life all ranks and ages both sexes and all professions following jostling bustling hustling miss christabel pankhurst shakes herself free from one of her supporters and takes under her wing a barefoot ragged urchin whose eyes are dancing with glee and pride for his pals are envious who is he that the gloved hand should rest caressingly upon his shoulder the girl and the gammon trudge along together oh ain't she just sweet says a factory girl and fancy her a bein to prison can't she tork my word chimes in her mate why she just shut up them blokes as arst the questions just like a man she did her magnetism lies in her complexity her bafflingness her buoyance her radiant health her colouring that of the inside of a sea-shell she is so every inch alive the very exuberance of life body and mind not the racked intensity that comes of nerves high-strung and over-active brain but just that finger-tip aliveness which comes of perfect health and perfect happiness in engrossing occupation the girl orator and organizer martyr and crusader holds and sways her crowds by a very network of antithesis and her rosy face is the index of her complexity defiance chases demureness she flings a madcap word and then lectures you like a schoolmistress one moment reticent grave and serious then simmering with mischief as she lays a cabinet minister or a man in the crowd safely upon his back oh rash questioner then her wilfulness that puckered chin tells a tale yet her willingness to listen and to learn her melting comprehending sympathy for the sorrowful and heavy laden her rapier wit and repartee but ever smothered in the white sugar of good humour all these you see some when sitting in the background of the trolley she seeks to hide from the public stare which she shrinks from with a maiden's modesty when not actually engaged in speaking 
others when the lissom figure swaying in rhythmic sympathy with the outpouring words she fastens her mind and yours upon the pointed issue and then her unconscious petulance that green veil of hers tied under her chin that would for ever get awry yes she is very very feminine and that is what will win the vote for women with a voice that never tires nor ever tires the listener she is born to charm the ear with an ebb and flow of sweet sound sound so clear so silver so bell-like now rising now falling now rushing and tumultuous now measured and tempered and austere earnest and grave impetuous a very volley ardent burning scathing denunciatory then sinking to appeal to low notes and something near to sadness shall i speak of her logic it is inexorable it is not on mere smart retort that she depends when heckled she has a good case and relies on it she is saturated with facts and the hecklers find themselves heckled twitted tripped floored i think they like it she does and shows it she flings herself into the fray and literally pants for the next question to tear to shreds her questioners are for the most part earthenware and this bit of porcelain does them in the eye quaintly daintily intellectually glibly look to it mr gotry or the witchery of christabel will do you in the eye no the electors of peckham agreed these suffragettes were not the sort of women they had read of they were neither the disorderly shouting abusive unsexed violent creatures nor the soured dry and disappointed women they had been led to expect it was not merely the enthusiasts in the daily mail who testified to the work that the suffragettes were doing conservative newspapers though they generally preferred to ignore the suffragettes because though opposing the government they were not supporting either the conservative candidates or their proposals nevertheless they allowed some of the truths that the special correspondent told them about the women's campaign to filter into their columns the standard said these women are prepared to kill themselves with fatigue and exposure not for the vote but for what the vote means the bystander said the ladies tongues have been tireless and their brains inexhaustible of all the assembled bodies in their name was legion who thronged peckham theirs has been the most persistent the pall mall gazette said everybody seems agreed that the best speeches in the election are being made by the lady suffragists whilst the daily mail asserted that in no contest have the suffragettes figured so largely or done such harm to the radical candidate there is a type of man who will sometimes ask a woman's advice about politics and may even admit that she is not only a better speaker than he is but knows more about public questions than he will ever know and who yet thinks it is quite tolerable that she should be forever debarred from voting though he has had that privilege since he was twenty-one men of this type are usually great followers of party and allow their ideas of right and wrong in politics to be almost entirely dictated by the actions of the very fallible gentlemen who happen to be their party leaders liberals of this type whether editors of newspapers journalists members of parliament or merely rank and file had always condemned the suffragettes because the liberal party happened to be attacked by them the suffragette opposition at peckham caused them to be more indignant than ever for peckham was a liberal seat that had been held at the last election by the great majority of two thousand three hundred thirty nine votes and if this big majority were to be pulled down they feared that the house of lords would be emboldened to throw out the government's licensing bill which was then being debated in parliament 
it was true that though the liberals now spoke of this bill as being of paramount importance they had themselves been just as keen upon a host of other questions and had over and over again before this called upon the suffragettes to stand aside and refrain from pressing their claim at what on each occasion they assured them was the crisis of all crises first it had been that the liberal government might come safely into power that they had charged the women to wait then that free trade might be put out of danger then for the passage of the education bill the plural voting bill and every measure put forward in every case they assumed that the proposal advanced by the liberal cabinet was the only possible solution of the problem and in spite of the differences of opinion amongst men they maintained that no right-minded woman could conscientiously wish for any other when it came to the question of the licensing bill the liberal politicians declared that the sole issue of the election was between the licensing bill on the one hand and intemperance on the other this was absurd for if the liberals wished to be rid of the suffragette opposition they had only to remove their veto from the woman's bill on the morning after their release from holloway mrs pankhurst and the other ex-prisoners drove off to peckham in brakes and paraded the constituency holding meetings at various points and worked there incessantly until the end a procession of their own ex-prisoners was also organized by the suffragettes of the women's freedom league who were also helping to fight the government in this election the liberals retorted by displaying a big stocking blue the peckham liberals color labeled since my wife turned suffragette i can't get my stockings darned but this fell very flat on polling day the star showed its belief in the strong influence which women were exerting in the election by making its final appeal on behalf of the government candidate not to the men voters but to the women of peckham the suffragettes were stationed at every polling booth and as the voters passed in many of those who had hitherto voted for the liberal party handed their colours and polling cards to the women with a promise to vote against the government on this occasion on seeing this one of the liberal officials became so angry that he threatened to prosecute a member of the freedom league under the corrupt practices act in the evening after the poll closed mrs drummond upon whom the organization of the suffragettes campaign had chiefly fallen and who had been too busy all day even to get a meal repaired to the town hall where the votes were being counted as she stood waiting on the steps weariness showing at last in every line of her bonny round face and sturdy little figure the doorkeeper invited her to rest in the entrance hall until the result was known presently she heard a loud burst of shouting and a number of men in the midst of whom was mr winston churchill came running down the stairs from the count she started up eager to learn the news but was swept out into the street in the midst of those who were impetuously rushing on at that moment there flared out a magnesium light red the conservative colour it was known that the government candidate had been defeated and the huge crowd outside broke into cheers note twenty five mr churchill was pushed about like any one else and had to work his way out of the throng but the workingmen seeing mrs drummond there a worker like themselves who had been labouring strenuously amongst them during the past week and whom they all thoroughly respected crowded round her cheering and as her husband's constituents did to little scotch maggie in mr barry's play what every woman knows they lifted her shoulder high and bore her in triumph down the street but mrs drummond felt exceedingly uncomfortable in this exalted state and asking to be released hurriedly sped away 
now that their late majority of two thousand three hundred thirty-nine had been turned into a majority for the conservatives of two thousand four hundred ninety-four the liberals proceeded to heap abuse upon the electors and to assert that the contest had been disgraced by unprecedented corruption and insobriety but the experience of the suffragettes was that the election was one of the most sober and orderly that they had ever attended and their feeling was that the defeat of the liberal candidate was very much more largely due to the government's refusal to grant votes to women and to its coercive treatment of the women's movement than to any other cause this opinion was shared by many others dr robert esler the divisional surgeon for peckham wrote to the daily telegraph as follows sir the statement was advanced several times that the new member was floated into the house on beer lest others should infer from the words that the electors constitute a drunken community may i being in a position to know the facts indicate them during the ten days of intense tension in canvassing and speaking there was literally no insobriety the charges at the police station fell much below the usual low average and there was not a single assault case in my opinion a high moral tone was imparted at the beginning by the presence on the rye of the ladies who took part in the proceedings their dignified demeanour and cultured oratory made a profound impression and i think this should not be overlooked when considering the result mr st john g irvin wrote to the liberal organ the nation on march twenty eighth saying there is not a man in the national liberal club to-day who does not know that mid-devon was lost to the liberals because of the adverse action of the militant suffragists a fact which was patent even to the rowdy mob who rolled mrs pankhurst in the mud when the result of the poll was declared there is not a liberal member to-day who does not dread the prospect of a general election with the absolute certainty that he will have to fight not only the usual enemy but also a very determined body which at the present time has no political creed other than that expressed in the three words votes for women i am wrong there is one man who does not seem to realize all this to whom mid-devon was not a warning to whom peckham will convey no sign of further trouble the premier-elect mr asquith this peckham election has been a revelation to me of the perfectly wonderful forces which the women's social and political union are bringing to bear on by-elections as a purely impartial observer of the peckham election i submit to you sir and to the liberal party that it is time they started doing something for the women the mandate might not have been there in nineteen hundred six but it most certainly is there now mr gooch the successful candidate stated a great feature of this election has been the activity of the supporters of woman's suffrage and even the daily news which published a correspondence from its readers dealing with the liberal defeat at peckham stated in its issue of march thirty first that the majority of the letters received referred to the action taken by the suffragettes footnotes twenty five the figures were mr c a gooch conservative six thousand nine hundred seventy mr t gautry liberal four thousand four hundred seventy six majority two thousand four hundred ninety four the figures at the general election had been mr charles g clark liberal five thousand nine hundred three sir f g banbury conservative three thousand five hundred sixty four end of chapter eleven